commitment alert for Clemson here on Thursday, June 17th. Clemson brought in two four-star safeties for last weekend's elite retreat. First one is in the bag. Chesapeake, Virginia. Four-star Sherrod Koval has announced his commitment to the Tigers. For more on that and plenty of other analysis on Clemson recruiting, go to TigerIllustrate.com where you can find the splendid recruiting coverage and insight from Paul Strilo, who does it better than anybody else. My good friends Blake Smith and Brooke Archenhold have been part of the podcast since the beginning, way back in August of 2018. They have an accomplished team of personal injury attorneys at Parm Smith and Archenhold based in Greenville. They are Clemson people, and their skillful attorneys have decades of experience in complicated litigation matters, taking a special interest in medical malpractice, nursing home abuse, and neglect, car accident cases that have left the individuals involved in serious trouble. For a free consultation at Parm Smith and Archenhold, call 864 or online at parhamlaw.com. That's P-A-R-H-A-M law.com. If you're in the Eastern Midlands and PD area and you're in any way interested in buying and selling a home, commercial property, land, need to consider reaching out to Uptown Realty. They're based out of Sumter and run by a friend of mine, Patrick Enzer, big Clemson guy, used to cover the Tigers in a newspaper capacity, longtime supporter of Tiger Illustrated, longtime listener to the Dubcast. The home buying process should be an enjoyable experience, so let Patrick and his staff do all the heavy lifting. All you got to do is pick up the phone and call 803-774-0435 or go to UptownRealtySC.com. Solero Communications, formerly known as Tandem Payment, is a full-service integrated electronic payments provider powered by leading-edge technology. Solero provides a wide array of merchant solutions, simplified payments. They make onboarding, taking payments, maintaining risk management and compliance, and getting support quick and easy. At Solero, they're all about helping you achieve sustainable growth as a business. Taking payments isn't the only thing your business needs. With Solero's solutions, you can manage inventory, sell products and services via social media, Media, schedule staff, track sales, get reports, and much, much more. Find out more about Solero at solerocommerce.com. That's C-E-L-E-R-O commerce.com. Okay, to our conversation with Joe Person, longtime Carolina Panthers beat writer. Also before that, longtime South Carolina Gamecocks beat writer. This is a lot of fun, a lot of industry-type stuff, sort of inside baseball, so to speak, which refreshingly a lot of you folks out there enjoy listening to. Here we go. All right, joined by my friend Joe Person. Man, we go back a long way, and you have always been one of the – I've always thought of you as one of the best in the business. I know other people believe that, too, one of the great sports reporters out there. How you doing, man? I am doing well, man. We don't we don't get to see each other as much as we used to, but I, I appreciate you having me on. And those were way too kind uh, words that that you were speaking. For no, us. no. So so all right. So you're with the Athletic now, covering the Panthers. Previously with the Charlotte Observer. How long were you with the Observer covering the Panthers? I think I did ten seasons. Uh, <laughs> I had the poor timing to start in 2010, which. Uh, for your listeners, your Panther listeners will remember was uh, John Fox's last year. It was Jimmy Clausen. It was two and fourteen, but it did put him in position to to draft Cam Newton overall, which kind of turned the tide and led to uh, really the best three year stretch in their history with Ron Rivera and Cam Newton and Luke Keekley and that whole crowd. Uh, but now. 
you know, they're kind of starting over again with, uh, with a new coach and Sam Darnold. And yeah, I've been on the beat a long time. Uh, uh, what I'm sure about the same length you may have been at Clemson longer than I've been on the Panthers. beat. Yeah. Since 2004, <laughs> It's crazy to man the years go by, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man! Well, I mean, some of the more interesting part of your career, as it relates to, uh, I guess, Clemson-centric listeners, is you spent a lot of time in Columbia working for the state, covering mainly Lou Holtz, but also Steve Spurrier, right? I did. I did. That was kind of cool to catch the end of, of the Lou Holtz era. I think the last, oh man, the last three, four years, I think. And then the first maybe four or five years of Spurrier. And so I think I was on, I think I was on the beat about eight or nine years. So yeah, it was, uh, those are two totally different guys, obviously two different dudes. Um, but enjoyed my time very much in Columbia. A couple of my kids were born there. Still have a lot of friends there. Obviously covered that awful day at Clemson where the two schools, the two teams fought. Uh, that was, I guess, ended up being Lou Holtz's final game. And uh, that, was, that, was, that was not a real fun day, I think, for anybody involved, even those of us you know, who were covering it. Yeah, I guess staying on that brawl thing, just sort of related to, you know, you're you're a reporter, you're covering something, you're expecting one thing to happen, you you know, you're expecting to write about the game and the stakes and Lou Holtz's last game, all that stuff. There's, there were plenty of storylines going around that day um, before <laughs> before the brawl happened. I think one of the hardest things that you have to do as a news reporter, sports reporter, whatever, is immediately pivot when a story becomes something totally different from what you expected and when that story is huge. How do you – is that difficult for you um, to, to, to transition, like, in the middle of that? And, and then how do you react to something like that um, that's totally unexpected? Yeah, it's a great question. And it was difficult that day because I remember showing up to Death Valley, like, really sick oh no just i mean it was one of those days where i was i probably shouldn't have been breathing my germs all 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 over the rest of y'all in the press box but i was like sucking down uh cold medicine and trying to fight through it and you're right it's like all right let me just write this that lose last game and you know try to do the best i can on it and then just all hell breaks loose and uh yeah, Steve Wiseman was there with me covering the game. Uh, I know you know Steve, and so he was he was great to have there uh, as we kind of tried to <laughs> make sense of of the chaos and you know go talk to the, as many people as we could. You'll remember, I think this is what you were referencing too, is like the news had broke. It, South Carolina folks were trying to keep it quiet that you know, they had already gotten this deal with Spurrier and Holtz was on his way out. And I do feel like that led on the Gamecock sidelines to, 
a lot of weird feelings among the players and maybe not a lot of accountability with a, with a lame duck coaching staff. It was just, like I said, it was a weird day. I mean, it, 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 you know, it, I know people like to talk about watching the fights in hockey or the wrecks at a NASCAR race, but I'll, I'll be honest. I remember not to sound like some, you know, like holier than now dude, but I remember watching it and kind of getting a sick feeling in my stomach and just like, just like my goodness, this is really happening. I'm sure my story did not do a very good job reflecting all those kind of emotions that so many people felt watching that. But I do remember trying to at least encapsulate some of that. Yeah, I remember. So I was the Clemson beat writer for the Post and Courier at that point. And I remember the mistake that I made was not having the appropriate sense of how big it was in the moment. Um, And so I remember like Ken Berger had already, (laughs) as he was, as he was prone to do it <laughs> during during those days, he had already probably I think he'd already written his column and maybe even gone home. Actually, I was standing with him on the sideline as Yusef Kelly threw the Gamecock helmet above us into the student section. But I, th- I want to say that Gene Sapakoff was writing about the brawl. I think Berger Ken Berger was going to write about it some, mm-hmm. and so I felt like I didn't have to write about it as much as the as the you know the beat guy. And I remember, right. I remember going back and reading my story the next day compared to everybody else's sort of game stories the next day and going, wow, I, 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 I goofed. <laughs> I did not write enough about the brawl. It was tough. It was tough to know how much, you know, I, I, I do think that it took on a life of its own and, um, you know, it, it, and unfortunately for the Gamecocks, there was more bad stuff to follow where they, you know, kind of the seniors or some of the, the guys when they found out they weren't going to the bowl game and they pulled down their photos off the wall at the, you know, at the football stadium, it was a bad time. It was, it was, uh, you know, it, you, you, you just felt like, you know, obviously they had already made the decision to move on from Lou and, and, and bring in Spurrier, but clearly change was needed at that time. And, and, and Spurrier did for a while, had it going on and did bring a, a, you know, a fresh voice and a new look and, you know, all that to to the rivalry. One of the things, I think the benefits of covering one team and one school for a long time is that it, it gets easier as time goes on simply because you meet more and more people, develop more relationships, have more of an institutional knowledge of the team and the school, or I guess the franchise in your case uh, that you're covering um, when I think about starting from scratch, like not that I've, I'm entertaining the possi- the thought, I'm just saying if I think of that <laughs> as a possibility, like say going to Athens and trying to start from scratch covering Georgia, I'm terrified. You have had to do that quite a bit over the years on very high profile beats uh, when you, I guess you moved from, from the Macon Telegraph to the state. Um, as the main Gamecocks guy. And then when a new coach comes in, such as Spurrier, you have to sort of start from scratch there and then continue that uh, to your move to the Charlotte Observer, you know, doing a whole new sport, basically. What is, how do you do that? And is it intimidating or is it more of something that's like a, you, you, you viewed as a challenge 
um, and enjoy it. Yeah, you know, a, a little bit of both, really. I, I feel like in in most of those moves and each of those moves I made, I was ready for a new challenge. I was ready to do something different. Um, I used to feel like there was a, a shelf life on some of these beats. Um, and, and I don't know that that was the right way of thinking about it because if you stay on them long enough, like you and I have, you do have change. It's not like you're covering the same administration or the same football coaches. Um, and, and just the, the, the move that I made that was probably the most nerve wracking or made me the most anxious, I should say was coming here to Charlotte because I was, I, I'd been pretty much mostly a um, college writer. As you said, I was in Georgia covering Georgia tech. Um, even before that, right out of school, I did some Marshall for up in Huntington, West Virginia, some Marshall coverage. I did some pros in Atlanta, like when the Falcons went to the Super Bowl in 98. But but mostly my focus there was tech. So tech and then the Gamecocks. And then all of a sudden, again, I, I was ready. I was ready to do something different. But it was like, man, I've got all these college contacts. Are any of them going to transfer over? I mean, am I going to be able to lean on all these sources who I've developed? And the answer was a little bit. I mean, but mostly we just go and you, you, you do like we've always done. And it's try to let people know that they can trust us to tell their stories in a fair and, and you know, a professional manner. And in doing so, it, it, it doesn't happen overnight, but you start growing that source list back up uh, at the NFL level. And uh, <laughs> and then it all so, so much of it. Does, I mean, it, you know this, but it, it does feel like a small world in a lot of these athletic circles like I covered Shane Beamer as a GA at Georgia Tech. I covered him as a um, assistant at South Carolina. And then I was calling him a few months ago because after he got the job with the Gamecocks, he's hired uh, a Panthers assistant uh, to to be his offensive coordinator. So it all, and I still had Shane Beamer's number in my phone for however many years ago when I'd see him, you know, buying groceries in Atlanta. So it's, I, I like that part of it a lot. I know you, do as well you do a fantastic job making those interpersonal connections and and then writing about a lot of those with the people that that trust you to tell their stories so i know what you mean when you talk about uh developing a network of sources but for the for the layman for the average fan or person listening can you put into the layman's terms like what what does that mean when you're starting from scratch and 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 trying to build that well and 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 Different things on different beats. In the NFL, I mean, in, in colleges, you know, you're working a lot of the, you're getting to know a lot of the family members and the high school coaches and the high school offensive coordinators. And then, and, and that's still important at the NFL level, but not as much as getting to know the agents for all of these players who have a financial interest and seeing that their players, um, you know, get um, a, a fair shake with the local reporters doesn't mean you, you, you know, it's all 
you know, fluffy and breezy and rainbows, but it, it does mean, yeah, I, I trust this guy. He, he tells it like it is. If my guy played terribly against the jets on Sunday, he writes that, but he's not looking to take pot shots. And so the agents that, that was, and, and that was what I meant too. like going to the NFL, I would, we all on the college beats would see agents and talk to agents, you know, around pro days and the draft, but not to the extent that you do on these, on these NFL beats. And so, but, and, and you find just like, just like anything else in, 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 in life, right. That some of them you connect with and they're great and they call you back every time you, you call leave a message. And then some of them aren't real nice people and they, they're, they're not people you'd really associate with and they, they never return your call. So you hope that you build up enough of the, the, the those in the former category. And, uh, it, 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 I tell people it's just, you know, it's really like building sources is like building a friendship network is somewhat. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, you know, being yourself, being sincere and showing them that they can trust you with information or to tell their clients or their sons or their, their high school uh, players stories. And, and maybe, uh, also not calling them only when you need something. It's a great point. That's absolute. And I, and I think I have found myself doing that sometimes with certain, and I feel terrible doing it. And I mean, it's like, this is a guy I haven't reached out to for a while. So that's a great point that, you know, there was a, um, I'll try to make a point to reach out when, when the, the Panthers just drafted a huge draft class, 11 players, and then they um, they signed like four or five undrafted guys, and I made a point to reach out to all of those agents of the new players, and some of them I knew, a lot of them I knew, but but there were, you know there were probably a handful of them that I'd had very little, if any, dealings with, and I just introduced it. It's easy now, like with texting, like it's not like you know you're playing phone tag. I mean, most of them would rather not be you know, I think they prefer the texting and, until they get to know you. And it's just like, Hey, congrats. I see your guys here in Charlotte. This is who I am. I've been covering the beat for 11 years. If I can do anything to help you hit me up, uh, you know, it, it, it look forward to, you know, t- tell me. And then a lot of times they'll say, Oh, you're going to love this guy. You know, did you know about, I'm not sure you know this about his background, but he went through this or he is related to this person. And it, it, it's pretty easy stuff to do, but you're right. Sometimes, you know, in kind of beat dynamics or beat maintenance, I guess you might call it, you, you know, we get busy and it's like, man, I got to call this guy for this bad thing. And I hadn't called him in two years for anything good that yeah. his client or player did. So I guess one distinction between college and the pros as far as how we do our jobs is in college, at least now, the barrier to sort of developing relationships with players uh, and sort of getting to know them 
beyond just formal press conference settings. The barrier there is imposed by the head coaches usually who are really about control of the message. And so there are all these restrictions in place. Whereas in the pros, fewer restrictions from the head coach or the organization and the barrier is more the agents to sort of getting, getting to know the, the players personally. Is that accurate? Yeah, to an extent. Um, unfortunately, we, we've all had these barriers for the last year and a half, yep. right? And we, uh, that, that was a big concern for, for, for all of us, no matter what you cover. Um, but at the NFL level, the union was really kind of using media access as part of their kind of holding it over the head of, of the league as they were trying to agree on these protocols, but just came out this week that it looks like we're starting to return to some kind of, of normalcy in terms of post uh, or it's like training room, excuse me, training camp access. I think, I don't think we're, I think we're in the locker rooms now during the week, but not after games on Sunday. I don't really understand that distinction. That's probably a whole nother conversation, but yeah, they, the, there is, there's terrific access in terms of they're required to have in normal times, these open locker room periods and baseball and the NBA that, you know, all these, the pro sports pretty much do it. Uh, pre-COVID, you know, universally. And that's a great, you know, obviously there's a huge crowd around Christian McCaffrey when the day he talks, but the day, you know, maybe two days later on a Friday, you're in there and you approach Christian and I don't even have my tape record. I'm not mm-hmm. even looking to interview him. I'm just like, Hey man, how's it going at your new house? Or, you know, just being a real person with them. Or, you you know, I don't want these guys that every time they see me, it's like they got to put on, I'm putting on my reporter hat and they have to get into question answering mode. And, uh, and some guys are cool with that. Enjoy it. And, you know, you, you don't get to know all 53 guys in the locker room, obviously, but, I think a lot of them do want to know you on a more personal level. And like, I remember texting a couple weeks ago or maybe just last week about kind of some of the contradictions in all keeping all of these vaccinated reporters out of the locker room while they were, while they were coming up with this new protocol. And I heard from a player and he said, Hey, keep pounding that drum, keep Mm. banging that drum. He's like, we, we, there's no reason why you guys shouldn't be in there. And, and so, you know, it's, it, it, some days, some days you go in there and like, you know, if they lost the day before, they don't want to (laughs) be, they don't, they don't want to show up at their locker and have to revisit their drop pass on fourth and seven. So, you know, there are days you sort of stand in there for 45 minutes and maybe two people, two players come through, but other days are a lot more productive and, uh, you know, a lot of fun, just kind of cutting it up and, you know, getting to know these guys a little better. So no restrictions on, like you just mentioned, texting with a player, having a relationship with a player 
offline sort of away from the official settings like they're you know in college it'd be a a red alert if if uh, <laughs> if a reporter if a coach <laughs> found out a reporter were texting with a player uh casually is that so y'all y'all, y'all are free to the, the players yeah. are free to have whatever relationships they want to with with the media a- absolutely but having said that there is no doubt in my mind because I've seen kind of how the sausage is made that the, these PR staffs do not encourage that. Uh-huh. In fact, I think they discourage that. And then it's just sort of up to these players as who are now not 17 or 18, but 24 or 25 or 26 years old, whether they want to feel to have somebody telling them what to do when hopefully they're like, yeah, I know Joe or I know Larry and I like him and I, I trust him and I want him to come to my charity event yeah, when I have it next April. And so I think it would be good for me to have a relationship and not, you know, do what PR is telling me and to shut him, shut him down. Yeah, so, and I'm a grown man. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, that, and that's been nice. I mean, that, that was, a, that was one of the challenges. It's a give and take in everything, right? Like, like, there's no comparing the game day atmospheres of, of walking up to the death Valley or Williams Bryce or Sanford stadium and you name it versus, you know, walking up to, you know, with the exception, maybe of the Superdome, <laughs> like new Orleans feels about as close to like a college. Athlete. So like, there's a trade-off like the game day atmosphere isn't as much fun when I'm walking into the stadium, even in a place like Kansas city. But I do like the fact that it's not the sports information director saying, here are the three people, uh, the three players we're going to have available on Tuesday this week, you know, before the Virginia tech game and only these three, uh, So it, that, that, the other thing that gets to be a challenge now is the, a lot of these teams, including the Panthers have really, ta- they've hired really talented, uh, digital media people. They've hired, you know, folks like yourself and like me, uh, to, to work for the team websites and they want their content to be pretty special. And so they'll get kind of first crack and some, and in some cases the only crack at some of these stories with like behind the scenes access of the draft, for instance, which the Panthers.com did, did a great job, but kind of stinks for folks like us, um, that I didn't get the chance to do that same story, which I think would have been a, a wonderful opportunity. Okay. So how do you, when the team itself, its official organ is using its access to get stuff before the independent outlets, obviously, you know, you don't like that. Um, how hard is it to navigate through that to maybe, um, challenge them a little bit, say, Hey, you know, um, why, you know, how come we couldn't get that? Like what, how, how, I guess delicate is that? Um, and how do you resolve it sort of with your, I guess within yourself in terms of just saying, Hey, it's just the way things are now. I can still do my job. Well, even if, even if the team I'm covering is sort of in essence competing with me. Yeah. Another great question, buddy. Um, I have in some cases resigned myself 
to certain stories that, uh, for instance, they trade for Sam Darnold. Huge story. Um, the news breaks. You know, you, you're calling Darnold's agent. You're calling Darnold's family. Calling the Panthers. And they're like, yeah, I mean, Darnold's not talking today. And we're, we're looking to do a Zoom with him, you know, in a few days when he comes in for his physical. Well, I know what's, ha- I know what's coming next is the day he shows up for his physical, you know, he leaves the doctor's office and they, you know, after he shakes hands with David Tepper, one of the, one of the stops is with the team's media folks. And so I just, I, I, I had to kind of finally come to the realization, not every team does that. I mean, a lot of them do, but some of them will just say, you know what, we're putting them on as we're putting them on a zoom or, you know, we're putting them in front of the podium and our folks will, will get them when external, external media gets them. But, um, more and more, certainly the Panthers. And I think the trend around the league is they want this unique content. Uh, the NFL one, you know, these, these are, these are sites, you know, these, the, the, the league likes that league, the league likes to direct people to NFL, you know, dot com. And so I've just sort of said, I've got to do my story different. I've got to do it better. I've got to ask questions that maybe the internal team media won't ask. Um, like they, you know, they had drafted a couple guys this year that had some character stuff or some, some, some suspensions or investigations like that. There's still some things that <laughs> the in-house folks are not going to ask. And so you, and, and not to say you're out, you got to go look for all the negative stuff. That's not what I mean, but it's whatever you're going to do, you got to try to do it differently and better. And that, that's not always an easy task. Yeah, like Clemson, their uh, digital communications folks uh, with football, they were some of the pioneers with a lot of this, a lot of this stuff years ago. And you know, at the time, you're like, okay, well, are they gonna, are they trying to like compete with us? And you know, there some other media members are speculating, oh, they're this is the part of a overall plan by the athletics director to to bury the the media, this and that. <laughs> well, but really what it was in hindsight is they're just trying to do something cool. And yes, they're trying to monetize uh, their sort of proprietary access. And, and the bottom line is, you know, there's no Clemson fan that is only going to uh, follow the Clemson Tigers.com for information. Most fans are still going to want, that independent authoritative coverage. And it's the same thing probably with the Panthers as well as most fans kind of like a grab bag of, of a, a democracy of, of different uh, outlets to where if you're doing if you're doing a good job, you can still distinguish yourself um, regardless of, of, regardless of how frustrating it is. Maybe sometimes that, that, that there, that the access isn't there to some high profile players like Darnold. Yeah, I think that's right. And, uh, you know, I'm the same way, like kind of with my, I'm, I grew up in Pennsylvania. I, I not a big, was never a huge, like NFL, like Eagles type guy, but we were big. My family were big Phillies fans. So I'll still read a lot of the Philadelphia coverage and <laughs> I read a lot of it and including the Phillies.com site 
who, like a lot of these sites, they went and hired a terrific reporter probably 10 to 12 years ago from the Philadelphia Inquirer. And, you know, yes, there are certain stories that he can't do. But for the most part, you don't even like think about, you know, him. Just like you said, Larry, you're looking for a wide swath of, of good coverage and you start to you start to say, well, I know this guy is really good on analytical and trends. Like, in fact, our, our Phillies guy is who I'm thinking of. He's terrific on, on looking at big picture trends. And maybe that I like this other writer's, uh, you know, feature stories or human interest stories. So, yeah, hopefully there's enough to go around. Cause I want to keep doing this for a while, buddy. <laughs> yeah. What was... Uh... So Cam Newton gets there. He is a mega star already and probably has good reason to be cynical of the media uh, based on, you know, a lot of the stuff, a lot of the storylines that surrounded his, uh, his college days. Uh, A, um, how difficult was it to sort of get beneath the surface with him? If you did, if you were able to get beneath the surface and develop a relationship with him. He was tough. I mean, it was for all the reasons you just mentioned. Like they had been through the media wash and and uh, listen of of their own making of, of Cecil Newton's own making, um, and <laughs> yeah, they had a even even like Peter King, where where Cam had said, "I want to be an an entertainer, an icon, and an athlete." Like all of it, like they had a very jaded his his team, so to speak, had a very jaded view of the media. Um, but I'm at the paper of record in Charlotte. I think that still carried some weight, certainly at the time, and and hopefully still today. And I remember they draft him, and the lockouts going on. And I was reaching out to everybody in excuse me, associated with his team that I could think of. And that's marketing people. That's his dad. And, and at somehow or another, I don't remember what the connection was. I think on the marketing side, they were like, listen, cam is going to be down at IMG training for a couple weeks during this lockout. It's, you know, he's going to be working with Chris Wenke actually. And, I go and and they said you can come down. I mean, there's I think ESPN's going to do something, but we're not we're not throwing this open for a lot of media. But we'd like to have a relationship with the Charlotte Observer. So I fly down to Bradenton and I show up at IMG, and uh, I remember. I mean, I didn't get a ton of time with Cam. Like my, I would obviously would have loved to have like done like two days in the life of this bigger than bigger than life athlete who's coming to Charlotte. But I did get some time. Remember riding around on the back of a um, golf cart with him, Uh, you know, going from like, I think he was going from breakfast to the weight room. And then they let me hang out in the weight room. All of which is to say that like, that was, that was good. And that felt like a good start. But then once sort of the game started and, and I mean, covering some of these quarterbacks, I mean, you went through this, I mean, listen, I, even at the college level, maybe especially at the college level, it becomes sort of like covering a, a, a rock star yep. that, 
the access becomes very manipulated or, or orchestrated, I should say. Um, you know, Cam talks on Wednesday. He Cam talks on Sunday after games and, and Wednesday at the podium. And, and it, it, listen, again, it, it, he was, Cam was his own thing. Like I've heard other quarterbacks, like, you know, you could approach on a Thursday at their locker. I tried a bunch of times and Cam would sometimes I'd say, Hey, uh, I was really hoping to ask you about this other topic. And sometimes he'd just turn and kind of smile at you and shake his head. And other times he'd say, you, you know, how long you've been covering the team? You know, I don't, I only talk Wednesdays. And it's just like, yeah, I get, you know, so it became, he, he was hard to, to get behind the curtain with, um, I did, t- I, I do remember him in the locker room. This was one of my last exchanges with him, I think, well, maybe not. And he was, again, he'd walk through the locker room, like on a, let's say a Monday or a Thursday, but he, he didn't do the media. And most of the time people wouldn't even talk to him, but I said, Hey, camp. And he was, and I said, I had some personal news I wanted to share with you. And he stopped and he turned around and I said, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving the observer. I'm still going to be on the beat. I'm going to the athletic. And he shook, he stuck out his hand. He shook my hand. He said, congratulations. And then he turned around and he kept walking <laughs> down the other end. Of the- <laughs> so I don't know that that's, that's, that's something that just popped into my head. Do you chalk that up with cam to him just being a different dude? Or do you chalk it up more to the accumulation of experiences he had had with the media over his you know, over his college career, just sort of souring him on the whole endeavor or maybe a mix of both. I think it was a combination uh, of all of that. Then he had a deal here with my former colleague at the observer, Jordan Rodrigue, a young woman who'd come from the Penn state beat and cam uh, made an unfortunate comment about kind of, blowing her off and suggesting she didn't know he, she asked a question referencing the route tree. Mm-hmm. And he said something like, what are you taught? Why are you ask? Well, how, how, how would you know to ask me about a route tree, whatever it was. And that blew up. And you know, I, I think it was all of it. And <laughs> I'll tell you another anecdote. I don't, I don't know that it means anything, but I think, I think you'll appreciate it. So, First year he was there. So not super long after that, um, IMG trip. And then he knew me like, I, you know, I had spent some time with him. Well, the Auburn NCA decisions coming down mm. and I think it was like September, October and, um, comes down that, you know, pretty much they, you know, they found them, uh, I don't want to say innocent, but, but, you know, basically, basically they did not find that cam had done anything wrong that, you know, Cecil had. And, but, um, so it, it like drops at like five o'clock on like a Thursday and I've got to like scramble out to the parking lot and see if he's, I, I think someone had said like someone had seen him and said, He's, he's actually leaving right now. So I bust out there and he's, he had GMC sponsorship at the time. So he's getting in this big brand new, like Yukon. And I said, Hey, Cam, 
you know, getting his attention as he's literally like stepping into the door. And I said, I said, Hey, the, the Auburn, the NCAA decision just came out. And I remember him looking at me and you could tell he didn't know he, no one had told him yet. Like oh, wow. he didn't, he didn't know what the next words out of my mouth. Were gonna be. <laughs> and, and I said, you know, they did not find you cul- culpable or however I expressed it. And he said, well, that's good. And he hopped into the Yukon and he, and he drove <laughs> off, <laughs> but he was a different cat to cover. But again, I don't, I don't want to make it seem like I've heard that, you know, Ben Roethlisberger and I don't want to, you know, there are a lot of the quarterbacks are tough to cover. They just don't really want to be bothered because I think if they feel like if they do one interview, other and and get off their schedule then they're gonna have to do five and aaron Rodgers, i don't think makes himself very readily available uh except for that great thing he just did on sports center who was that with rich eisen or whoever i'm that kenny main but anyway i am rambling no no it's okay you know and and you know it's, it's natural for media types to sort of bemoan the you know, the typical superstar athlete these days and to say, oh, these guys are so insulated and how come they don't want to talk to us anymore and it's not fair. But I wonder, like, how much of this is our fault as an industry, mainly because, you know, back in the, I guess, 90s, you know, when you're the main newspaper guy covering a team, you know, you have a way more profile, I think, than you have now in the eyes of, of, a, of, of an athlete or a coach in that, you know, back then they didn't have a, a social media feed to sort of speak their minds or create their brands or refute something, you know, that somebody might say about them. And then now there's so much out there where an athlete's words can be misconstrued, you know, people can run with stuff as clickbait and people who aren't even on the sort of scene covering that team, somebody on his couch in Kansas city who's paid for clicks can turn, can, can turn something that Cam Newton says into something way out of context or Dabo yeah. Sweeney or whoever. And so I can sort of see why some of these guys are like, what is in it for me? I can only, I have nothing to gain by sitting here and talking to you guys on more of a, you know, on a deeper level, do you, do you, do you, do you agree that the industry itself maybe is, uh, share some of the blame and that stuff gets so blown out of proportion these days. And, and there's, you know, there's so little context, I think, or, 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 uh, not as much as there was before, perhaps. Does that make any sense? Yeah, a lot of sense. I wish I could disagree with you, but you, you get burned once. I mean, it only takes once. Like, you know, you're right. In the nineties, maybe they didn't have another option. It's like, well, I'm not going to talk to this guy, but I, I'm going to go talk to the, the rest of the print and local broadcast media. Now, like, uh, I'm going to get on my Instagram and, or I'm going to get on my Twitter and I'm going to clarify this. And I'm going to do any other any uh, any moving forward if there's any other instance that is newsworthy when i sign my contract extension 
or when I get player of the week or whatever, when I just want to get something off my chest, I'm going to do it on my terms, in my words, on my social media or on the Players' Tribune or on somebody's video blog, which Cam had for a while, his own. Uh, <laughs> so it's, yes, very, it's very tough. And, and it's just, again, I keep coming back to just, well, how do you distinguish yourself? I mean, with quality work and honest work, but then with how you interact with these guys and, and it doesn't always work. Like there are some guys, uh, you know, like some of their running backs here who uh, I won't, people can figure it out. It doesn't matter. I mean, they're, they're, they're iconic figures in this franchise, but when I got on the beat, you know, they were, I told you they were like two and 14. I, I, I think they got tired of answering all the same questions and, I, you know, I've got, I, there are just some guys that like, no matter how much you'd like to say, we all get along with everyone or boy, everyone's going to think I'm a great reporter and they can trust me. It doesn't happen. Like I, I've, maybe I had to write a story or maybe I've, I've, I had to write a column and then it, they, they shut you out. It does happen. And, uh, you just hope that, your work speaks for itself and your integrity speaks for itself that, that those instances and those situations are by far the minority. And, uh, because you're right. I mean, it is a, and, and I, the last thing I want to do is to have your listeners think that we're like, I know you're not, and that wasn't the intent of your question, but just like bemoaning the fact right. of new media, like that's just the reality. And I, I, we, we, we roll with the good ones, roll with the punches and, and figure out a way to stay relevant. And I do think an honest uh, approach and one with integrity goes a long way. Doesn't mean it's all fluffy, yeah. uh, as you know, but it, but it's, it's, it's when it's called for, versus just you know hot takes yeah like the it seems like there's a pressure nowadays not even from bosses but just in the culture of the social media media culture if that makes any sense to have a take on everything like whether it's during a game like oh god that's the worst play call i've ever seen you know or after a tough loss it's like god you know, what a horrible loss. This, this one's on, this one's on the head coach. Like, as opposed to, you know, 20 years ago, a beat writer's job was to just very matter of factly cover the team in an understated way. And I think you've done a, that, that's, that's your, that's your stick really, uh, that for your career has been, Hey man, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a beat guy. It's the, it's the, the opinion guy who's going to come in and and deliver some hot take on this or that. How much do you think that's sort of eroded sort of the relationship perhaps in general between us and the people we cover and that there's so many people out there who are sort of sitting on their couches just destroying somebody for fumbling, you know, late in the game or, 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 or a bad play call or, or whatever. It, that you're right. You said it, the culture, like I, I can't imagine if, I was the tight end that dropped the pass, you know, in the end zone that would have won the game on Monday night football, because I mean, I, I see if I make a mistake 
if I, if I have done something where I had a bad stat or whatever in one of my stories, you don't even want to like turn on Twitter because it is like an avalanche of people calling you, you know, pointing out just what a, you know, ridiculous, ignorant (laughs) boob you are. (laughs) And it's like, I can't imagine, I wouldn't want to turn on any social media. I, I don't, I mean, there have been times I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm not going on Twitter today. Cause I, I screwed that up or, you know, I asked a question that needed to be asked and folks didn't think it needed like yesterday, <laughs> you know, asking folks this one now, two weeks ago, I asked Darnold if he'd been vaccinated and he said, no. And he said it was a personal decision. Well, my timeline became a huge, huge, I mean, for that, for a day and a half, it became a debating spot for, for the vaccine question. But there were a, a, then, then there were also, there was another debate going on among people blasting me for asking the question and then people defending me and pointing out why it was relevant given the protocol. So, yeah, it's <laughs> absolutely that has eroded. I think the players, uh, you know, view. I think we all uh, somewhat get lumped in the same barrel. I do think the more uh, discerning players and those that care to take the time and the energy, and not and some of them don't. <laughs> some of them just like I don't. You know, it's, it's media. We're all media. But the, but those who who you know notice. Those of us who've been around a long time, I think that helps, you know, that no, nobody's fired us from this beat yet. Um, he must have some credibility. Um, you know, I think those people notice those players notice, I should say, and, and readers, uh, but some don't. And, and, and I think the, the points you made are absolutely valid why some of them may not. When you're ready for a complete renovation in your home or business, open the door to more with Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Their local experienced team will totally transform any room space from beautiful floor coverings to construction to finished details. Harris handles every step of your renovation process, whether it's a kitchen or living room or an industrial or educational setting, like some of the positively stunning work they've done at Clemson University. Go to discoverharris.com and experience a total renovation transformation from Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Want to share a quick word about about Founders Federal Credit Union. If you've been to a sporting event in Clemson, you've probably heard about Founders already. They are the official credit union partner of the Clemson Tigers. In addition to that, all Clemson faculty, staff, and students are eligible for membership as well as IPTA members. Matt Gross is a proud Clemson alum and the vice president for the Clemson market for Founders Federal Credit Union. Matt's office is located beside the Walmart neighborhood market on Old Greenville Highway in Clemson. For more information, go to foundersfcu.com. Another loyal supporter of the Dubcast is Blackacre Law Firm in Greenville, a subsidiary of Parm Smith and Archenthold. Blackacre helps South Carolina residents achieve their dreams of home ownership by providing experienced professional representation for real estate closings. Attention to detail is crucial in real estate law. Blackacre is committed to making sure nothing gets by them preparing residential or commercial closings. Blackacre also offers estate planning services for their clients in the Greenville area. Find out more about Blackacre at 864-326-3507. On a somber note, uh, man, recently just two devastating losses to the, I guess not just the Charlotte Observer, but just the overall Charlotte community. 
and David Foster, the photographer, uh, passed away, and then Rick Bunnell, the exceptional and decorated NBA writer. I, was it within a week of each other, Joe? Eight days. Oh, my God. Uh, and I, you were close to both of those guys, right? Knew both of them pretty well, yes. I'd worked with both of them. David was was mostly a sports photographer and, a, and an excellent one. He would go to come come to Spartanburg with me for camp every summer. And there were two guys, uh, David Foster and Jeff Siner, who, who were the main sports photographers during my, my years at the Observer. Exceptional. That was a great word you used, both of them. And, uh, yeah, you're kind of just still numb and dealing with your feelings from David's death and passing at 52 and which is mm. about my not about what i am and then rick a week later eight days later unexpectedly and uh passes away at 63 and it's just a huge blow for for those of us who knew those guys or worked with them but i was impressed there was a, a big outpouring of of support for both of those guys now rick was a little more forward facing just for, by the nature of his job. And, and I mean, Ernie Johnson on inside the NBA did like a 45 second tribute to Rick, you know, during the playoff coverage. And I, besides all the, the, you know, the Michael Jordan quotes and all that, which were very cool and well-deserved. I was struck Larry at, I, I went to, to Rick's, visitation uh, mm -hmm. about a week and a half ago here in Charlotte. And it was a big line and a lot of folks you would know from, from sports media and uh, you know, obviously very somber as we, we talked with Rick's family. So as I'm leaving, I'd kind of gotten there toward the end of the, the two hour window and I'm, I'm making my way out of the, the back of this funeral home. And I noticed there's a gentleman there wearing a Hornets jersey uh, with a girlfriend or wife who was wearing like a, a Hornets colored purple and teal dress. And I am sure I did not go and ask them, but I think they were just fans that saw on Twitter the details of when this visitation was going to be. And they came out. And I, I thought that was probably the coolest thing I saw you know, or, or read or saw or heard during, during all of, uh, of that unfortunate time that Rick touched so many people and, 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 and the kind of, the kind of coverage he did and the legacy he left prompted just a, uh, Hornets fan to yeah. come in. Maybe there were more than one. It was just the only one wearing a Jersey where it was obvious. I was like, that is pretty cool. Yeah. And he was, um, I guess in the last, once Clemson got to playoff level in, in football over the last, I guess, six years ago, he would come around here pretty regularly uh, covering them. And so I got to know him and uh, just such a sweet person, um, was really supportive of me. I think he read my manuscript maybe when I was doing a book on the 15 season and uh, just super supportive. But reading all the, uh, all the tributes and, and sort of insight into how he did his job, it really, um, it really reinforced 
just how hard it is to be really good uh, at that job because you have to do so many different things right. And I think uh, I actually wrote this. Um, I just pulled it up because it was actually a topic on our on our message board when he passed, and so I sort of weighed in. and uh, And I'm not reading this to, to to brag about what I wrote as much, just to sort of sort of crystallize what I'm talking about. But I said, covering a beat well requires so many qualities that can be conflicting: confidence and curiosity, being a de- determined truth teller while also being fair and human being an expert on what you cover while still thirsting to learn more, doing something that's solitary and introverted while also being engaging and networking with sources and readers, and then on top of all that, having exceptional work ethic and the ability to write well just about every day and often under brutal deadline pressure, not to mention the pressures of continuing to, to remain employed in a dying industry. Uh, Rick was all those things and more, and it just... Man, that's a lot of things you have to be good at that are really in conflict with each other. Am, am I, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, you've said that a lot more uh, eloquently than I than I could, but I, I agree with you. And I just was struck by Rick. Like, I remember a writing conference once, someone saying that, and uh, this was great, great advice. I was in a workshop. And someone said, uh, have someone in you know, like the newsroom's full of talented people, like find someone not on your beat that, that you can get, um, feedback from, or you can just go over and say, I'm stuck on this story. You know, what, uh, what would you recommend? And Rick kind of became that guy for me at the observer. Um, we did not go in the newsroom much in Charlotte. I mean, we were all so busy that the sports department, anyway, I should say that meant that we'd go in and do our expenses mostly, <laughs> yeah. but I get text from Rick and he would say, he wasn't trying to tell me how to do my job, but he would say, you know, I really liked this, this, this angle you took with, with this Steve Smith story have you thought about, you know, maybe looking at this different angle the next time you write about him? And I was so grateful for that. He's a Rick above all else, or, or including all, all those other traits, bright, bright guy. And I mean, would have, would have, I'm sure crushed in any profession. I'm glad he chose this one, but he was that guy for me. And I, or, you know, if I were stuck on and, and his, Hornets coverage was so authoritative that it wasn't just like, here's who won or lost. I mean, far from it. It was, here's why. And it, and it was not just surface stuff. And it was, and I'm not even a huge NBA fan, but I, I was reading his coverage just in the hopes that it might make me just a little bit better of a reporter or, or see things in a different light. Yeah. I think that what people who aren't in this, aren't in this industry don't understand is when you, when you, you know, when you read that Michael Jordan returned his texts and calls, you don't get to that sort of exalted level by kissing the ass of Michael Jordan. You do it by being fair, friendly, by by doing your job in a way that uh, that that elevates you, 
I think some people might just not might not understand that the relationships when you say re- building relationships with sources, it doesn't mean becoming their best buds. You know, uh, it means walking kind of a delicate line. You know, because there are you know there are times when you have to call it like you see it and to retain the the respect and trust of of, of high profile people you're covering through all that is, is quite an accomplishment. Yeah, and. Rick did it very well and for a long time. And, uh, you know, the fact that, that he was there for the Hornets first days and first game right up through this past season when they were, you know, trying to have the play in game and pretty remarkable career. And, and I'll just say this too, that, a lot of a lot of uh, of a measure of a man is kind of the legacy they leave behind, man or woman. I'm not. Yeah. It doesn't matter. You. So, Rick's son Jack Bennell play. I, I knew him when he was playing football for Myers Park High School, and he wasn't a big football guy. So he goes off to. I think he he went to App and. Um, he after after he graduated from Appalachian, he was uh, working in their sports marketing department, like Learfield, Learfield ISP kind of stuff. And he's now doing the same thing at Chapel Hill. But at um, at, at the time, my daughter, my oldest daughter, was visiting colleges, and she, we were going to go to we were on our way to App. And I text Rick, and I said, "Hey, I, I, you know, we're heading up to App." any places you know we should go have lunch and he said well no what you need to do is get in touch with with jack my son and we did and i mean larry like he said what time and i don't know jack that well he said and he didn't know my daughter at all i said he said what time's your tour going to be done and uh, like three it looks like three o'clock three o'clock he shows up in this parking lot near their football stadium. He has hot out of the oven chocolate chip and <laughs> macadamia nut cookies from this famous bakery in Boone. I forget wow. the name of it, but it's wonderful. He gives hands this box to my daughter. I think we eat one, pack the rest for the then he proceeds to give us a behind the scenes tour of the football stadium and the weight room and the athletic hall of fame and I mean, again, just and I told Jack this at at the visitation. I said, your dad could not have been more proud of you and absolutely for for good reason. And I as a tribute to Rick Bennell uh, about the to 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 realize the kind of uh, son that that he's left behind and daughter. I met his daughter at the visitation, too, and she was wonderful. I just didn't know her as well. Last topic. I, I have to learn more about uh, what it was like to have relationships with Lou Holtz and, and, and Spurrier. I mean, did you have good relationships with them? Or was it more up and down? I mean, that can be a tough, a, a tough beat, particularly, you know, given how fanatical the fans are down there. We saw what happened with Spurrier and Ron Morris, I guess. I think that was after you left, right? It was sort of brewing and yeah, I, I, I caught, a lot of it, but yeah, it sort of boiled over after I left. Well, you had the—I guess it was the—you—you uh, you had some really good reporting and investigated investigating of the—I uh, guess the Winfrey 
stuff. Um, I forgot when that was. And was that when Spurrier's – I think I remember – Now, correct me if I'm wrong. I think I heard this third hand, but that was when he started calling you Negative Joe or whatever. And when, Is that what you're referring to? Things had started to, to sour a little bit. Yeah, he did. That was that he would say that. I mean, it wasn't like he said that every every press conference, but he said it more than once. And it, I, I think it was some of that coverage and just you know the fact that if I was pointing out, you know, just like we have to in a loss that they, you know, however they managed to to you know bungle away a game at LSU or whatever it was. But yeah, that was tough. But and 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 fans and readers saw and heard that during the press conferences. But Steve always returned my calls. He always would text me back to this day. And so it's not like I think I think he appreciated at some level. Not not saying all the time, but I think he understood I had a job to do and. You know, sometimes it wasn't wasn't great stuff that you know, as you said, some of that NCA stuff that that uh, that we reported. But um, yeah, it was tough to get to know Lou. He was he did not make himself available, and he wasn't much on cell phones and that kind of stuff. I did get to know Skip Holtz pretty well. Um, I do. I don't know why I'm telling you this apropos to nothing, but. I had a long time ago had played uh, football at William and Mary and Lou had coached at William and Mary very early on in his career. And in trying to break the ice one day, this wasn't in like a huge press conference setting. I think there was like, uh, I, I think there were like a few of us standing around his office or something. And it was my, it was like my first week or two on the beat. So I thought I'd be funny and, tell Lou, I said, you know, I, he, he, I said, I'm the new guy. I said, you know, Joe person. I said, I actually played football at William and Mary. And I said, I, that was back when, when, you know, we actually threw to the tight ends because <laughs> Lou was known for not using the tight. Well, Lou Holtz at 70 or whatever he was at the time, still pretty quick and immediately is like, yeah, uh, William and Mary. There, uh, that's that's a Division One AA program, right, Joe? <laughs> <laughs> I said yes. It yes, it is, Lou. And I, I, I don't think I ever tried to uh, joke with him, at least publicly, again. <laughs> what do you make of the dysfunction down there? I mean, there's some things that just seem to be consistent throughout history. I mean, we have their trustees popping off regularly in the papers and um it looks like frank martin their final four coach they're trying to force him out that gets into the papers somehow then they have to keep him because they (laughs) they can't afford it because they're buying out will Muschamp, and just there's so much drama down there and then of course the stuff with the the president of course I mean, I know people up here, particularly trustee types, are looking down there and going, wow, like just holy smokes. Just It seems so serene up here compared to down there when there are so many sort of cooks in the kitchen, I guess. has that Was that the case when you were down there as well? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I don't know what it is, with it, and, and I don't know if it's fair for me after having been gone so long. I, I can't yeah. obviously yeah. – 
talk about the culture, existing culture. You know, I guess when I was there, it did seem like they had a couple of board members that they, and, and maybe this is true of, of every place. I didn't really know it to be as true when, when I had covered Georgia Tech, but just maybe giving a, a couple, you know, few board members too much of a voice and too much clout, I guess. I don't know if that was part of it. Um, but it did. I tell you what, I would go to those board meetings, and I know, I know you go to them also. Wasn't any, any, any. Not pat myself on the back, but some of them they were pretty entertaining. I remember Darla Moore, who of course is given all kinds of money, and she's had her own yeah. thing back. In, I remember her being very and not hiding her feelings, being very bored anytime athletic business came up. So she was not one of the ones like trying to meddle in the athletic stuff. Uh, I mean, she would kind of roll her eyes and, and but, you know, she wasn't like reading her phone or but, but making seemingly making it clear that that sort of stuff did not interest her. So it wasn't on Darla, but it did seem like there were folks that maybe, I don't know. I don't know what it was. I had uh, Spurrier on the podcast a couple of years ago. Um, to talk. Did you really? That must <laughs> it, have been a who. It was. It, it was. He. Uh, we were talking. You know, just to talk about the rivalry and stuff, and and about Dabo, his relationship with Dabo, and uh, he. I don't think he knows what a podcast is, or at least he didn't at that point. <laughs> and he so, didn't know what he was agreeing. No, to. he thought. I think he thought I was just a newspaper guy or something, and so. Uh, we were talking about the old, you know, the Dabo rant back in 2011 uh, against South Carolina. It, it was provoked by a, a tweet that that the University of South Carolina football sports information uh, Twitter feed attributed to Spurrier that basically said it was after they beat Clemson, I guess, for the third time in a row, maybe. Um, and Todd Ellis said, well, coach. We ain't Alabama and we ain't LSU, but thank God we're not Clemson. And so the 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 the, the, the football the official Twitter feed tweeted that and attributed it to Spurrier mistakenly. And so that's what oh. provoked the big blow up from Dabo. Right, right. Who thought it was Spurrier who said it. Anyway, so during the podcast interview with, with, with Spurrier a couple of years ago, he goes, Well, he, he, here's what happened. He said, We had some well, can, can, can you write dumbass in your story? And I said, uh, I said, coach, you can say whatever you want to say. He goes, well, anyway, some dumbass in sports information. <laughs> put that, put that out there. <laughs> oh, what a treasure. Oh, my God. How, how did he ever, <laughs> Steve read everything. Did he? So you, you would get these cell phone or these calls from him, not even text. You'd get calls from him at like seven in the morning. And he'd be part, you know, kind of parsing words. <laughs> I didn't really say that now, Joe. I, I, I said, well, and he's like, yeah, I can see why you thought that, but that really, <laughs> I'm wondering, did it, did you ever get any reaction from your pod with him? Not from him, no, not from him. Okay. Uh, okay. I bet uh, people love that. Uh, it was a great story from Paul Strilo from from back when he first took over in Columbia, when Spurrier first took over. Spurrier came up to do like a normal rubber chicken you know, uh, booster club thing in Spartanburg. 
right. Uh, right, right after he takes over, I guess, or maybe the following right. spring right. or whatever. And so he had, Paul has no relationship with him yet. And so Paul writes, he just noted in the story, because uh, Spurrier like left like right away. He didn't stick around kissing babies and things like that. Right, and Paul right. just noted, it was one paragraph, like maybe halfway through the story, it just noted that, you know, while Holtz, while Lou Holt, while his predecessor, you know, was prone to, to, to hanging around and kissing babies and all that, Spurrier was whisked away you know, four minutes after he got done speaking, something like that. <laughs> so the next day, Paul is 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 uh, is bathing one of his children is in, in the bathtub, and his his phone rings, <laughs> and he it's a it's an unknown number, uh, right. so he doesn't answer it. Well, so then he checks the voicemail, and as Paul tells it, it's Steve Spurrier saying, uh, "Hey, Paul, this is Steve." Um, yeah, I, 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 didn't, I didn't really like something you wrote. How about give me a call when you get a chance? And so, anyway, Paul resumes Paul resumes bathing his child. Phone rings again, five minutes later. Hey, Paul, it's Steve again. I, 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 ain't, I ain't got no problem with you. I just don't want, want you making me look like a dumbass. Just give me a call. <laughs> oh, my gosh, I love it. <laughs> Epic stories, man. I forgot. I forgot about those. I forgot about those seven thirty a.m. calls. So, how many of those uh, would you get a week? Uh, they weren't weekly, but okay. they, 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 you'd get a few in a season. I'll be honest. I, I do. Most of them were ha- how you're describing. I don't think I'm dreaming this up. Yeah, maybe I am. I was going to say maybe call you from time to time. And he, he actually, he did, there would, there would be times it's usually, you know, if you were talking about him and some super play calling you, I mean, you would get calls where he would say, you know, that he liked that story. Most of them went the, most of them were the other direction, but, uh, he was a hoot to cover up. (laughs) Uh, again, I'm just sort of rambling, but he, um, so it had to be his second year there, I think. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I think they went. The first bowl trip they made with him was to Shreveport. I think I'm getting this right. Uh-huh. And then the second year, they go to Memphis in the Liberty Bowl. So, like, back-to-back, you know, lower-rung bowls. But, but, you know, bowl games. So... We're out at Rhodes College in Memphis, which is a little, very pretty Division II school tucked in a, a very nice part of Memphis. And it's like, it's, I mean, it's not like two feet of snow, but it, it's snowing in December in Memphis. And Spurrier comes off the practice field, and there are like four or five of us waiting there. <laughs> and he, you, I mean, you, you could see he was miserable cold. <laughs> like he had like a he had a windbreaker on, and he comes up and he's like, "Yeah, boys, hey, you media boys, we got to get the message out. Yeah, uh, we these Gamecocks, we we got to start playing in those Florida Bowl games." <laughs> And to his credit, he did. He got him in some Florida Bulls, but he was not loving that that December cold snap in Memphis. I had somebody tell me who swore to me that every post game, as he's sitting there looking at the stats, about to hold court with the media boys, as he calls them, he would have a can of Sprite 
and he always looked like he was enjoying it more than you would a norm, more than a normal person would enjoy a sprite. <laughs> Somebody swore to me who used to cover them. I won't name names, but that Jamie Sperone is his his sidekick, his right hand person. It was it was Jamie's job to go <laughs> get a sprite, empty it out, and put some banquet. <laughs> His core, his 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 beloved Coors Banquet beer. In there. <laughs> I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. He uh, he he he's a character. He was he was uh, he was fun to cover. I, Pat Dooley told me the the longtime Gainesville Sun columnist. He said, "You just be prepared. Like, don't go out to practice every day. Like, thinking you've got your story written because." <laughs> Because you think you're writing about the quarterbacks, and then Steve's going to take a shot at Phil Fulmer, and, <laughs> and 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 he did, and and it was wonderful, and it was much more interesting than the story that I had planned that day. I guess you were there after they lost to Georgia. I forgot what year that was. At home, I think Matt Stafford was the quarterback, and I think Blake Mitchell might have fumbled at the goal line like twice or something, and mm-hmm. Spurrier called him a dumbass. I think that's right. I think that's right. (laughs) You know, his, I think this is right too. And this guy, again, small world of journalism, uh, this guy came through the Panthers as like the 13 quarterback. Joe Webb was a very good athletic UAB quarterback. Whatever year this would have been. Oh, five. Oh, six. Oh, five. I think of whatever. I'm bad with dates, but it was, I think it was pretty sure it was Spurrier's first game in at, at, at uh, Williams Bryce stadium. And they hold on the Gamecocks hold on to, to barely to, to beat UAB and, and Spurrier saying something like, yeah, we want very good Gamecocks tonight. I mean, that, that, that Joe Webb, he was the best player on the field. We beat uh, he, he looked like some sorry bunch of Gamecocks trying to t- tackle Joe Webb. <laughs> <laughs> what was your reaction from afar when you saw him sort of lose his mind that time? I guess it was 2011, um, and telling, telling the media he's going to go into another room if Ron Morris is in the room. He's not going to hold his press conference when Ron Morris is in the room and just sort of flipped out. Yeah, I mean, I didn't like that. No one in media would like that, obviously. But having known Ron very well and and, and really respecting Ron, I I hated that. It, it felt like a bully pulpit, which it was. And uh, yeah, I, I I didn't. I, I remember texting Ron, but I didn't. You know, I didn't dive too deeply into it. But it was. It, 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 it reminded me of the times when he would, uh, this was obviously, you know, times 10, but when, you know, the negative Joe stuff, and, you know, some of that maybe I deserve, but there, there are also other ways to handle stuff. And like the phone calls, you yeah. know, like that was, that was kind of a cool thing. He did or a unique thing, but at least it was, you guys, you, you could kind of hash it out with them where you couldn't really, <laughs> you weren't really re- getting a chance to respond in, in those press conference settings. Joe Person, I have held you way too long, man, but um, really appreciate your time, appreciate your uh, what you've done uh, in, in the industry. Uh, just one of the great ones for sure. And um, hey, you're going to bring your daughter to Clemson to uh, for a tour. I'd love to hang out. I don't know if I'm going to have cookies or macadamia nuts for you, but 
uh, it'll, it'll maybe just be me and maybe maybe that won't be enough but i uh, would love to see you in person <laughs> <laughs> i'd love that man and i i enjoyed cutting it up with you here today man it's been too long and uh since we've seen each other and i appreciate you much respect and, and thanks for having me on buddy. absolutely joe all right that was great fun with joe man full of institutional knowledge from all of his days full of stories as well and man we're, we're both old that's just the reality of the situation anyway thanks to joe thanks to our very loyal six sponsors for supporting the podcast and most of all thanks to all of you for hitting play every week everybody have a great and safe weekend cheers